Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. We're into March now and I'm afraid Tottenham have just lost their third game in a row. Charlie, the Spurs in a negative spiral. <laughs> a nice positive start. Yeah, it's, it's been yeah, kind of corner turning and then other sort of going back the other way. We were, they had momentum a couple of weeks ago. Then last week they lost it. Um, it's three defeats in a row, and you could argue they do have momentum again now. Yeah, <laughs> three different defeats, all equally demoralising. Can we get a bit of? Let's get try and get a bit of positivity about the first half from yesterday before we get into the bad stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean t- t- to borrow from uh, Sven Goran Eriksson, I would say first half good, second half not so good. Having looked at that lineup before the game, I was I was a bit concerned because it didn't it didn't really sort of seem like a particularly exciting team, which maybe is kind of what you expect given the injuries at the moment. But also, it didn't look like quite as solid a team defensively as maybe we'd seen, or inferior as maybe we'd seen in the previous few games. That was with the expectation that Dyer was going to play in midfield, and obviously, as we saw, he he played it at centre back. And to be honest, I mean, I thought the first half performance was was reasonably good. I mean, there were, there were probably two five minute spells where Wolves were massively on top, one quite early, one maybe halfway through the first half. But generally, I thought Spurs moved the ball well, mostly defended reasonably competently, other than I think the goal and one other moment where it seemed Dyer and Sanchez just completely got in each other's way yeah. and ended up giving away like a needless corner. And Jota ran back, yeah, yeah, to the pitch. yeah. Um, but other than that, it kind of seemed like you know that Mourinho had found another solution to to the problems that he'd found uh, it, with the squad. And then in the second half, for, for some reason, it kind of felt like that they undid a lot of that good work. And you know, Davis seemed to be absolutely flying forward in the second half, which wasn't happening in the first half. And that seemed to be one of the areas that Wolves were able to exploit. And it and it just kind of felt like they kind of unpicked it all really in the second half. And it was really actually quite frustrating. And it was interesting because about two all. Uh, sorry, 70th minute uh, score to all. And I tweeted saying it felt like it was anyone's game. And at that point, would the fact that Wolves played on Thursday be a factor? Uh, but it wasn't. They, they seemed to grow stronger as that match went on and Tottenham faded a bit. I mean, I agree with James. I think the first half, they carried much more of a threat than they have done uh, in the other two games without Son. Um, you know, they, they had a bunch of chances. They looked dangerous. Um, the problem was then in the second half they did get exposed a bit defensively. I mean, Wolves had play. Wolves were able to sit in and then have players on the yeah. break who can just produce individual moments. I mean, of magic. I mean that's perfect for them. I mean, look, look Wolves are, are a really, really good team. And they've got loads of really, really good players. But I don't think they were anywhere near their best on Sunday, by, by quite a distance actually. And they definitely looked beatable. Um, and, and particularly in that last sort of eighteen twenty minutes after Spurs had gone behind they just didn't really have any kind of any kind of clue that the rhythm had just completely gone by that point um, there was no kind of there didn't seem to be any kind of plan to break Wolves down they weren't moving the ball anywhere near as well but it just looked like confidence had completely drained out of the team we also we were genuinely in the press box trying to work out kind of who was playing where and it was really yeah. difficult to do he, especially he, as then they made another change 
And it, I mean, by the end, I calcul- if you don't count Dyer as a defender, given he's more naturally midfielder, Spurs were playing with one defender who was Sanchez. Yeah. And he was sort of up the pitch trying to win headers. So it, it was pretty chaotic. It, by yeah, the end. it was really weird. I mean, so ha- having kind of forced these two fullbacks to play wing back, and obviously that, that works for Aurier much better than it works for Ben Davis. He then removed those two players. I mean, it kind of seemed like Gedson was mostly playing on the right, but I mean, he's not really a right winger, is he? he mm. He's a central midfielder. And, and I'm not, I mean, obviously it's very early days with him and he's a young guy, but I've not really been particularly convinced that he looks like a good player to come on and see out a game rather than a player who's going to come on and change it. So when he came on against Southampton, he did really, in the FA Cup, mm. he did really well. But in every other game he's come on, he's, he's not really added that much. He's legs, isn't he? Yeah he, yeah, he puts himself about. Yeah, but I mean, in that situation where you're kind of, he probably came on maybe like 15, 12 minutes to go. Yeah. You need, you need to create something. What do you think about the decision to rest Alderweireld and Vertonghen? Well, uh, Alderweireld had played every Premier League game under Mourinho. I think he'd only missed 12 minutes under him in the league and that was when he came off against Chelsea. So, you know, I think so, he's 30 years old, maybe needs the odd rest. And they've got um, Norwich, which is arguably, well, arguably as big a game. Then they've got Burnley away. Then they've got Leipzig. So I think it's understandable he needed to be rested. For Tongan, I'd say more was dropped. I don't I don't know how much that was a, a being rested. And, and that seems legitimate given the way he's played. I also thought, and this is probably not the biggest issue right now, but Ben Davis had quite a poor game. And actually yeah. he has looked rusty since coming back, yeah. which is totally understandable, but he hasn't quite been this panacea that he was made out to be. Well, no, exactly. And it is kind of unfortunate. I mean, you know, you, you don't really know whether or not Sessegnon would have played in, in mm. any of the last few games had he been fit, but it's kind of unfortunate that that's come at that exact yeah, moment. Yeah, definitely. Where, you know, that felt like a system that really would have suited Sessegnon, I think, in a game like that where, it, where the ball was kind of you know, going up and down the pitch quite a lot, having a bit more pace out on the left probably would have actually been really useful. And potentially Davis then as the left-sided centre-back, yeah, exactly, which, which yeah, did work quite yeah. well. What do you think about Tanganga? I mean, look, looking back at the goals, and I wasn't at the game, but looking back on the goals, he looked, you know, uh, culpable to some extent for all three of them. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that was his worst game by by, by quite a long distance. He, he, I mean, he really did look like, you know, like an inexperienced youngster playing in like a high tempo Premier League match, which he hadn't looked in, in any other match before. Yeah, I thought I thought the first goal was a bit unlucky for him. Yeah, I, I think mean, he probably thought probably Dyer, more yeah. culpable. I think I think he would have expected Dyer to have got a touch on that cross, and then suddenly he's just kind of thrown his body in front of the ball, and yeah. obviously it's just fallen perfectly for Doherty to score. I mean, the second one as well. He uh, so Tanganga always at youth level loved to tackle. He loves. He, he is quite impetuous, for better or worse. And he, he put a couple actually in. There was a spell in the first half. He put two sort of back to back and it was great. And the fans were kind of really energised by it. And that's the upside of that. The risk is then when you do it against someone like Traore and he, Tanganga comes flying out, he's tempted he's to, to win the ball and he doesn't. And then he's completely out of position and they score from it. Yeah. It's, it is ama- I mean, it's amazing seeing players, and you see this quite a lot, running into Traore thinking they can knock him over yeah. and then just yeah. bouncing straight back off yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of incredible. Thing is, with Traore, I mean, if uh, you know, if you stand him up, actually, he's nowhere near as effective. If you just stand off him yeah, and make yeah. him play the ball, I mean, he is obviously he's, mu- he's a much better technical player than some people will give him credit for, but he's not he's not messy. You know, if you if you like stand him up and make and make him do something with the ball, he's just not going to be as effective. And but if you let you know, if you, like you say, if you overcommit and let him drive through, then he's going to absolutely destroy you. Charlie, you wrote about how Spurs didn't still don't really look like they have much balance. Why do you think you know, sort of what three months in, three and a bit months into the Mourinho era, 
there's still there's, he hasn't really found the right balance. Well, it start the the sign point from this was the the fact that he hasn't been playing a defensive midfielder for the last two months, which is very interesting given that that's been a sort of staple of his teams. You know, you always think of him having a, a kind of orthodox defensive midfielder, be it Matic or Lasana Diara, Makaleli, someone like that. And he hasn't been playing that for the last two months. So I asked him on Friday why that was. And he basically said, well, since we haven't had a striker, we need to be more creative in midfield, which is quite a big step for a manager who is normally seen to be wedded to his ideals. So anyway, he did that again on uh, Sunday and he had Winks and Lacelso. And the piece looked to the fact that in the they, they kind of encapsulated what happened to Tottenham on, Saturday, on Sunday because in the first half, I mean, they spend most of their time, both of them, looking to probe and create stuff, you know, especially on Sunday because they had three three at the back. So they are really bombing forward. They're trying to create. And in the first half, they, they were at the heart of a lot of Tottenham's best attacks. Both the goals came through them. The first actually came through both of them linking up. But the problem when you when you don't have an orthodox defensive midfielder is you, you can be left exposed defensively. And that's what happened for in the second half. And if you look at both of those goals, uh, Wolves the second and the third, there just isn't a defensive midfielder where you want one. And so it, it just feels to me a little bit like they're trying to compensate for the absence of a striker, but they're potentially losing something defensively. And the problem is Spurs' de- Spurs's defence and its ropiness has almost become as big an issue as their lack of an attacking threat. So it is a really difficult balancing act. And, um, you know, you shift that balance just slightly and it can, it can tip. And that's what happened in the second half. Yeah. I, I certainly mean, think it, we can't blame... We can't blame Mourinho for the fact that Spurs don't have a good holding midfielder and haven't done for like three years. I mean, yeah. li- literally their best defence midfielder is Lacelso. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wanyama, but obviously he's nowhere near being Yeah, fit. Wanyama and Dyer of a few years ago, maybe. But nowadays, I actually think Lacelso is kind of as good as it gets. But the problem is he's also their best creative player as well. So yeah. you can't, you can't yeah, get him to exactly. do everything. I mean, it, that, that's, you know, that game made it really obvious that what you want is Lacelso playing like so much further. What you want pitch. is Lacelso cloned. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Or you want anyone else playing in midfield and Lacelso playing kind of further up. Yeah. And, you know, when you've not got a proper sort of number nine playing up, up top, you really need someone who can play those intricate passes and, and like you know Fred plays through. What do you think? Like, if the technology were to be available, what do you think the optimum number of Lacelsos in the Tottenham <laughs> team would be? Uh, I reckon maybe three or four. Give are, we, are we allowed to harvest all the, some of them for organs and body parts no, pres- so we can fix Harry Kane? <laughs> that, oh wow, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so if you could, I was thinking like the squad that currently exists plus multiple Lacelsos, but if you could combine bits of Lacelso with for example Son's arm or Kane's, ham- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kane's hamstring yeah then in fact you could actually have an even better team Sissoko's knee um speaking of Tottenham midfielders we do have to mention podcast favorite Tangi Ndombele mm. um what do you reckon uh, it is kind of getting to the point now where you you know and we don't know whether or not at this stage he's being rested and he's going to play a fantastic 90 minutes on Wednesday night against Norwich but he came on for the last 15 minutes on Sunday and, and he was he was puffing quite quickly yeah. and it it is incredible that we're now sort of two thirds of the way through the it's season March. it's like March like it's literally the second of March <laughs> and this guy just still isn't seemingly just still isn't fit I just can't I just can't fathom that yeah but, you know he's had a he's had a whole pre-season and he's come through this much of the season now and he's he's seen the pace of the Premier League first hand. He started 11 out of 17 games under Pochettino before Pochettino got sacked and has now started 5 out of 23 under Jose. 
I mean, but how he, often did he come off after an hour under Pochettino? Though? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, maybe he did. Nine he played. A, I think he played a ninety and an eighty-nine. I think you might have played the first game of the season, ninety minutes maybe, or, or like, and it. then he came off in injury time. Yeah. I think. I think he played the whole game against Bella. City on the second. Yeah, game. possibly. Yeah, um, but he's clearly like moving in the. Well, he looks like he's moving in the wrong direction. Mm. Yeah, which yeah. is what uh, nobody would have at the start of the season. Everybody said it's going to take time, massive physical adjustment. Pochettino knew this. He's uh, Pochettino said it would take a year. It takes a lo- yeah, it takes a long time yeah. to get up to the pace of the Premier League. But and I think everybody's on board with that. But equally, they want to see some movement in that direction, and I kind of feel like we haven't. I mean, you could have said similar things about about the Chelsea at the start of the season. Probably. I mean, I, I think Pochettino probably actually did. But you've seen like positive improvements from him the whole Massively, way through. Yeah. And now we're talking about him as probably the best player in the team. Also, at least with La Celso, there was a, a concrete injury that we knew about. So, and also so he'd been the, away over the summer. And he'd well. been away, exactly. So there was more of a reason for why it would take longer. Whereas that hasn't really... I mean, it's been it's been niggles with Ndombele. And yes, he went off on New Year's Day, was off for a little bit, yeah. was, off, was out for a few weeks. But a lot of it has just been niggles and you know slowness to recover and this sort of thing which is really concerning. And I think there was some, you know, some have had concerns about him from pretty early on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the solution to that is. I mean, obviously we don't know the specifics of what, what he is or isn't doing. That's, that, that's kind of causing this problem, but I, it's just not really acceptable. I don't think for, for a Premier League player to, to, you know, to this far through the season to not be able to, uh, unless there's some other kind of underlying injury issue that we don't know about, but I'd be amazed if that was the case. Yeah, only, um, only ten games to go in the league yeah. this season. Like we're getting towards the end of it's it. It's crazy that it does feel like it's suddenly crept up towards yeah. the end of the season. And I, mean, I suppose, in a way, he's unfortunate that he's landed at Spurs at this uh, in this kind of what at best we all describe as the transitional season, <laughs> yeah. where more or less everything has gone wrong, and they really, really needed him to be at yeah. his best from the get go. Mm. You know, if he if he had come in two years ago. Um, and he'd been able to rotate with Dembele or whatever, then it, it wouldn't have been as big a deal. It, it would have been kind of fine for him to kind of take a couple of years to get up to speed, which is what happened with Sissoko. Although I guess the other way of looking at that is that what an opportunity it's been for him. You well, know, he he yeah. really could have stepped up and been the man for Tottenham this season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a big problem and you just have to hope that given a pro, you know given another proper pre-season that next season we'll see like a massive improvement but yeah it does need to be a massive improvement yeah yeah um norwich in the cup on wednesday night uh is this like the game to save tottenham season does it matter that much well i don't know if it'll save tottenham season but i think losing it um would be pretty catastrophic that would be fourth in a row fourth in a row and you know given that this is their best chance of winning something which winning winning the FA Cup, I think, would salvage the season for most people. Uh, go out of it, and then you're thinking, well, top four suddenly looking hard. They're in a tricky position in the Champions League, so it's it's a really important game. I mean, they may help, they may benefit from the fact it's a bigger game for them almost than it is Norwich, yeah. because Norwich's priority is is absolutely staying up. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder whether Norwich winning on Friday night now means actually they'll, they'll kind of look at it and think, oh, yeah, we do actually have a chance now. Let's kind of you know rest. Six or seven first team players. So Norwich have got Sheffield United away on Saturday the seventh. Uh, then their next league game is Southampton at home. So I mean Sheffield yeah. United will be hard. Saints they could probably win. But you're right. I'm sure that they will be like like of course trying to stay up is yeah. more important to them yeah. than trying to go through in the FA Cup. Also, you know they'll probably look at the FA Cup in the same way that, that Spurs probably could and say and you know say all the top sides are left in that. And fair enough, one of Chelsea and Liverpool will go out this week, but. Arsenal are going to beat Portsmouth. 
Um, United. Manchester, yeah, United are going to beat Derby. Derby and Manchester City are going to beat Sheffield Wednesday. That's just the way it's going to go. So all of our, and Leicester, I think, are playing... Oh, uh, what, is it Birmingham, maybe? Birmingham. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is Birmingham, Birmingham. yeah. Uh, so you know, you would suspect all of those teams are going to get through. Yeah, I was looking at it's a, it's going to be a pretty heavyweight yeah. quarterfinal. So yeah, suddenly now. you're into the last eight, and then like all all of those kind of top six or seven teams are there, and and it's going to be very very difficult to win. And then to me, it just seems strange. You know, it feels a bit like Mourinho has um, sort of had one eye on this cup game when he's selected that team on Sunday. But that, to me, getting into the top four or five is far more achievable than the winning the FA Cup this season at this point. Especially with the possibility of the City ban. Like yeah. Spurs are five points off fourth, but they're only two points off fifth. Yeah, and, and none of those teams are that good. None of them. Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal, Everton. You know, Wolves have got the Europa League. Sheffield United are both, are both very good teams. Much better than anyone would have expected them to be. But they're in that group. They're about the same level as everyone else. Um, you know, And to... Put all your eggs in, the, in that one basket. I think would be pretty sensible, actually. Norwich are good as well. I mean, that will be a yeah. hard game. The league yeah. game that was that finished two one to Tottenham uh, in January. Norwich could easily have got something from that game. I mean, Norwich have been good close. every time I've watched them this yeah. season, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and I've watched them against most of the top teams probably as well, just because those are the games that have been on TV. And they've been really good in all of those games. They were phenomenal against City in September. Yeah, mm. yeah really good. Would you rather James win the FA Cup or get? top four uh, well yeah I mean if you're, I would rather win the FA Cup than get top four but I think it, getting at this stage getting top four or five is is far more achievable mm. interesting especially as I mean what Mourinho was saying uh, last Friday it sounds now as if Kane and Son are going to be back uh, back sooner than expected and he's basically like well let's if we can stay around fourth fifth you know in the mix I'm already then. looking forward to Harry Kane's injury in the first half of next season <laughs> And then, you know, they'll be in a position in the last four or five games to sort of make a sprint for the line. What, um, so who do you think would come back in for this game? Toby? I expect Toby Dombele. will. Yeah, and Dombele, I, I guess, first would hour. start. I mean, because this last game is it's such a compressed schedule because it's Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday turnaround. Yeah. So I think he, he will have to rotate. Um, possibly Vertonghen. But I guess I maybe maybe Fernandez will start. I mean, Skip maybe. I mean, but. well, Skip. I was going to say he is someone who, amongst some Tottenham fans, there is a bit of clamour for in that defensive midfield yeah. role, given they don't have an out and out holding midfielder. And, and you can, in, in a sense, there should be more outrage about him not playing than Parrot. Yeah. Just I, I appreciate obviously the context of um, Spurs don't have a striker, but Parrot has just turned eighteen. Yeah. You know, he is very young and inexperienced. And Skip has played in the Premier League, and Skip, I think Skip's probably played, the Champions League. I was say yeah, tons of games, not tons of games. He's, he's played quite a few he's games. He started in the Premier League, you yeah. know, in competitive games. He's he's older. He's more the profile of player who now should be playing games. Yeah. I, I, I know Mourinho has talked about Skip a couple of times, but has he actually played? I'm not he's sure he barely has. played. He played against Bayern Munich. Came on I mean, yeah, doesn't even count late doors. Game, yeah. Came on late doors, very late doors. I think that 80th minute against Burnley in the 5 0, okay. which is the game Parrot came yeah. on. Uh, and I think that's it under Mourinho. So Skipper started five games, five senior games for Tottenham. Um, and he, but he was always like a big part of Pochettino's thinking. I remember yeah. even after the infamous Colchester game back at the start of the season, Pochettino was saying in the press conference afterwards that like the new direction for Tottenham would have to involve more Skip, Tanganga and Parrot. And yet Tanganga's playing, Parrot isn't playing, but it's talked about a lot, whereas Skip hasn't really been talked about so much. He came yeah. on against City early in the season as well in that second game. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it looked like he was going to force his way into, into, I mean, the, into the plan. I guess the, the problem he has is that Spurs do have a lot, or Spurs do have quite a few like very tidy technically good central, yeah, central midfielders yeah. and what they really need is 
someone with a bit more foot in and Skip hasn't shown that he really has that in kind of adult football yet. While we're talking about uh, academy players, I just want to express my massive frustration with what happened with Parrot yesterday. You know, I, I know one, he was only on the bench because Lamella yeah. wasn't fit. And two, you're asking an incredible amount of a, of a teenage guy who's played like kind of four minutes of Premier League football to come on in a game like that uh, and try and score a goal, which is effectively what you're asking of a striker. But you're asking even more of him if you chuck him on in, in the 91st minute, right? Mm. I mean, I just, he was warming up for the entire entire second half and everyone could see that all around the stadium. And I know it would have been right in front of you, Charlie, presumably. Mm. Um, and, you know, we think or we read in Charlie's article that there, <laughs> there are question marks, uh, you know, about, about maybe not his conduct or attitude, but some kind of things around his personality that possibly aren't entirely conducive to uh, being a top professional. Yeah. But if you think that's the case, surely the worst thing you do to someone is leave them on the bench for 91 minutes and then chuck them on in injury time. I just don't, I don't, and, and, and it feels to me the only reason Marino has, Marino has put him on is because he wants to kind of be able to say that he's done it and just kind of hold his hand up and say, look, I've done it now. I've given you what you want. Yeah. You can't, you can't criticize me for not playing him because I have, but that doesn't count. And he hasn't touched the ball in the four minutes he's been on, but he did make one good sort of run into the box that I think ultimately led to that blocked wink shot the right at the end. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, if he's there, you might as well play him for 10 minutes rather than like just injury time. Yeah, it is a really strange situation. And as James said, there's something that, uh, David Ornstein and I wrote a piece on last week and you know he he is exceptionally talented I don't think there's a question mark about that I mean some think maybe he's not quite at the level of say a Marcus Rashford was at um, at that age in fact once or said you know different galaxy but I think Rashford was exceptionally good Parrot is good enough as a player I think yeah there, there have been question marks over his maturity and the way he carries himself but yeah, I mean, you'd think he, he deserves more than stoppage time. Um, I mean, I get the argument is broad, isn't it? It's like, could he have done any worse than, you know, what, what was on the pitch? Well, yeah, the exactly. Time? I mean, you know, we, we were talking about it before and there was probably, including injury time, like a 22-minute period that Spurs were behind and just didn't look like they knew what to do. And they had no focal point. Didn't have a shot on target at yeah. that time. Lucas had kind of fallen out of the game. Uh, it didn't really have any shape. And it just kind of felt like, well, what's the worst that can happen? You put this kid on. No one's going to blame him if he lose the game. He's going to feel like he's, you know, he's been given like something of an opportunity. He's going to know the kind of level that he's going to have to get to. Even if he doesn't play well, you can go to him and say, that's the level. That's what you need. That's how well you need to play. What well, one thing we don't quite know though is how is is whether Mourinho's view of him is shared by the other players. And if, for argument's sake, it is, then he might Mourinho might feel his credibility. Uh, is lessened by playing someone who, for whatever reason, there is a problem with. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, possibly. Well, I heard the other day from a dressing room source that they, the view is, well, if the manager doesn't think he's ready, then that's fair enough. Like I don't, I don't, just from, I mean, I'm not saying this is a universal view, but just from the one conversation I had, the impression was, um, you know, it's the manager's decision and not, there's not exactly like a massive clamour from the senior players mm for parrots to play i think that like again i don't know if that's what everybody thinks but i often find with this kind of situation that like senior when fans are like oh pick the kids pick the kids they're really really good senior players in dressing rooms often get a bit defensive about this well obviously. i know yeah i know from other examples like they get um, <laughs> of course they would yeah and they get like a little bit uncomfortable with all the clamor 
for the kids to play, particularly because you know they feel like oh, I did it the hard way. Why is it so easy for these teenagers? But anyway, I'm just I'm, and and that isn't necessarily wrong. But if you you know if you're going to put him on, you might as well put him on like earlier in the game than that. It's kind of like an insult, really, to put someone on that late in the game. I mean, you've got no chance of affecting it if you're coming on that late. Yeah. Our colleague David Ornstein did a really interesting interview last week with Damien Connolly, who you'll probably know formerly of Tottenham, Liverpool, Fenerbahce, Arsenal, Saint-Étienne. He's walked all around football. He's a really, really smart and interesting guy. He had a lot of very interesting stuff to say about his time at Tottenham and about what he makes of Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy. You probably know him better than most people. Um, he very rarely speaks. He gave a, an interview recently about the stadium, but that's about it. Um, but can you give us a little bit of insight into him? Is he good for Tottenham? Is he bad for Tottenham? Is the truth somewhere in the middle? What on earth is he like? Having the same sentence, Daniel Levy and bad for Tottenham is a shock for me because... Actually, I was discussing this with Billy Bean when, when, when I was over in the States, and Billy said something very interesting, uh, keeping in mind that Billy is probably you know, one of the best sports executives of, of all time. And he said, he said what people should understand is that Daniel Levy, across all sports around the planet, is one of the best executives at the moment. If you had to do a top five of the best sports executives in the world at the moment, you will include Daniel in it. Uh, He's just an incredible brain. He's just what he's achieved. He's not only intelligent, but he, I mean, extremely intelligent. But he's incredibly driven. And having built a stadium like he has, I've been built a training ground that we did it together. But I've built it when I was there. I've built a training, or, or we created it. We built a stadium that is built. That is, it's the best stadium in the world. I mean, I was in Miami for the Super Bowl. I can guarantee you the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami is is one tenth of of the stadium at Spurs. I mean, it's it's just amazing. I, I had the privilege they invite he invited me there for for a game. It's just it's just astonishing the quality of that stadium. He delivered the stadium. He's delivered a fantastic product on the pitch for five or six years running. They've got the best training ground in 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 the industry. Uh, you know, give. Give me one example of somebody who took a club with an old stadium, poor training ground, and then about 15 years later, it's the best stadium in the world, it's the best training ground in the world. Uh, they've got incredible assets in the team. They took that, I mean, who would that say that Spurs will get into the Champions League final, honestly? You know, so you can, people can say, oh, but they haven't spent enough money and they were one player short from winning the league and one player short, short from winning the Champions League. But remember where Tottenham was? If I tell you, if I tell you the team that we had in 2005 and we finished fifth with that team to the team that is now is comp competing and, and got to the Champions League final, people will laugh, you know, so... They are in a different planet, and it's all thanks to him. He's got great people around him. He's got a great board. He's probably the most unified board in football, the most forward-thinking, adaptable, flexible board. Uh, they are clever. They are shrewd commercially. They did great job, you know, doing the Nike deal and and uh, and sponsorship, etc. They sold his, the seats at the stadium. Um, I mean, they are very, very, very good. Yeah. Uh, yet there is a group of supporters who want Enoch out. You see it on social media and on the message groups. They think that 
Daniel Levy and Enoch are holding Tottenham back from making the step up to actually winning trophies? I don't know what to say. Your uh, look says it all. <laughs> I think it's so ludicrous. I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, they should have a statue of Daniel Levy in front of the stadium. That's what I will say. Seriously? Of course. Of course. I mean, look, they they pay less. Way, they, until now, they couldn't compete wages-wise, transfer-fee-wise. They just couldn't compete. And despite that, they managed to compete at the very top to finish the corner third to get to the Champions League final. Uh, okay, okay, they could have won maybe a cup or something like this. Okay, fine, I I, I agree with that. But in the end, Daniel and uh, Daniel to the club into a dimension that personally I w- and I follow the club very closely and I'm very friendly with Daniel and other people. I will not never thought he will take that club that quickly into that dimension. Imagine now, you know, would you say Spurs are ahead of Arsenal? They are. Commercially they are, football-wise they are. On every front, do you think five, even five years ago, before Mauricio arrived, if you would have said Spurs will be ahead of Arsenal in five years' time, you would have said there is no chance. No chance. And they are. And there is nobody else who's done that in Europe over the last 15 years. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and -and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember... You try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot U-K forward slash athletic. So that clip you just heard was Damian Connolly, um, formerly of Tottenham speaking to David Ornstein for our podcast last week. It's a really, really interesting clip in which he makes clear just how how much he loves and respects Daniel Levy. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a really interesting viewpoint because he's obviously an incredibly smart and accomplished guy, commonly. James, yeah. you're kind of looking a little bit less convinced than me. Uh, no, 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 not at all. Um, I mean, in actual fact, you know, as is often the case with, with directors of football, you know, the work they do isn't always appreciated in their own time. You could probably look to the transfer business Spurs have done quite recently and say, you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier on, you know, you're expecting players like Lo Celso and, uh, and Dombele to improve over time. Uh, and at a club like Spurs where they can't afford to bring in players, you know, elite players at their peak, the kind of players you are going to bring to the club are always going to be players that you're expecting to improve over two years. Uh, and if you look at the players that were brought to the club in the time he was there, uh, from 2005 so I mean Berbatov in 2006 clearly was a massive success then you know through to players you know a, a lot of young players were brought in before that and then, Modric yeah Modric Gareth Bale Gareth Bale uh, you know players like you know who were kind of much maligned like Gomez who still helped the team get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League 
you know, when that was almost as unlikely as Spurs getting to the final last season. Yeah, he did. Re- he did really, really well. So I know, I know, commonly a bit myself. And I was, did an interview with him last year before they got to the before the Champions League final. Um, and he was talking, he was reflecting on his time at Tottenham, and he said that basically when he came in from France in 2005 to be the scouting director, I think. Levy told him that he wanted Tottenham to get into the top four and Comerley was thinking like well how how do we how do I get from here to there and he said that he saw in the stats that Spurs were much behind the other big teams in terms of possession in the opposition half passing rate into the opponent's final third that kind of thing and that's why he went that's why he went for Berbatov Modric I know Dos Santos didn't work yeah but that's why he went for that level of technical player and those were the players ultimately who helped them to get those two top four finishes under Harry Redknapp yeah I mean that that era is kind of the start of um the 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 journey for want of a better word uh from sort of mid-table nothingness to Champions League final really yeah definitely actually maybe Frank Arneson before that actually but the, the, the point is that bringing that model to the club was what kind of helped put them on the map and you know I do wonder whether that might ultimately be something that they need to go back to in terms of in terms of recruitment but yeah you're right and players like Asu Okoto who was like a sort of fairly obscure player in the French league who became one of the better fullbacks in the Premier League clearly was a massive success as well and and you know and as I said he he was and is much maligned but actually I think it's a sort of a similar story of his of his recruitment at Liverpool as well players like Henderson who yeah everyone was you know Part of the reason he lost his job was Henderson. Exactly, yeah. And yet he's the guy who's gone up and and lifted the European Cup and is is going to win the Premier League this season. Another one I want to mention is Hugo Lloris. So when Comerley was still at was still at Tottenham, he was working with Ian Graham, who's now you know big shot at Liverpool, and Ian Graham's company Decision Technology, uh, which was used, which Comerley brought in to kind of analyse the the stats of various players and whether they were signing. And they saw a young Hugo Lloris at Nice and. Spurs knew that he like Spurs scouts had said he'd been really good, but the st- Ian Graham stats showed that he was like his saves were kind of even better than they might have looked, judging on the kind of the complex data they used to analyze the quality of a goalkeeper. They tried to sign him, but he went to Leon instead. But obviously, Spurs kind of kept an eye on him, and then in 2012, they did eventually get him from Leon. So, he, and he's been you know as in one of the top three, top five players over the last decade or so at Tottenham. Comley's also very, very close with Steve Hitchin, um, Spurs chief scout, having worked with him initially at Spurs and then taking him to Liverpool where Hitchin was the guy who helped them to sign Luis Suarez in 2011, uh, which is obviously a hugely transformational signing for Liverpool. Hitchin now back at Tottenham. Uh, has overseen the signing since the departure of Paul Mitchell a few years ago. Uh, seems to have done really well. Like the last, whatever you think about Spurs in general, the last few big signings they've got, I think they've all got pretty much bang on. Yeah, well, I mean, and the the ones from last summer, it's probably too early to say, isn't it? I mean, Lascelles looks like being a really yeah. good buy. Cessignon, I I think there's loads of potential there, and Definitely. I think he he Absolutely. will prove to be a good sign. And and, and Dombele as well, despite everything yeah. we've said before. I think the biggest problem has been that kind of eighteen month, two year gap where they didn't sign anyone, so yeah. they've not had anyone who's kind of hitting that sweet spot mm. now. That's a really that, good that, point. That they really probably should have done, you know, if they had signed, you know, uh, you know. Uh, Players with potential in 2017 and 18. Jack, Jack Grealish. Grealish. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Who would now be one of the better players in the team, in the Premier League even. Uh, you've only really got Lucas prob- Moura from exactly. that period. A, a, lot of the, a lot of the problems that you've seen this season probably wouldn't be quite as evident. Ricardo Pereira. Yes, quite. <laughs> that would be a good but slightly depressing topic. Which three players should Spurs have signed in 2017, 18, 19 to build on 
I mean, definitely Pereira. Yeah, Pereira and Grealish would have been fantastic. Yeah, Madison. Not Barkley. Not Barkley's rubbish. I mean, I I actually think he would have done okay, but I think you just wouldn't have seen anything of Sissoko if that had happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Someone like James Madison. Yeah, Yeah. Madison would have been great. Yeah. Um, Zaha? You a Zaha fan? Uh, Yeah, I am a Zaha fan. I I know. It's it's kind of hard to detach from where he's at now because I'm not, I mean, this season... I've not really been particularly impressed, and even in that, even in the, the derby game on Saturday, he was kind of drifting in and out of the game, and that was the one game you really expect like this guy's going to be at it, and you know he's going to win the game for them, and he was kind of fine, but not brilliant. Um, I think interestingly, like the the the, the touted fee for Zaha in 2016 when Spurs were supposedly close it was like 30 million pounds, right? Which is ultimately what they spent on Sissoko instead, and I know people now think. That Sissoko deal was kind of worth the money, and in modern terms, it probably you could argue that it was. But you know, Zaha surely would have been a much a much better signing for that kind of first two seasons than, than Sissoko. I'm surprised was. to hear you call Palace versus Brighton a derby. I thought you'd be the sort uh, of person who thought it's no, not a derby. It's not no, a proper I'm, derby. I'm, I'm They're miles away from each other. A derby is a state of mind. It's not about geography. Damien Connolly also said there should be a statue of Daniel Levy outside yeah. White Hart Lane. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, having seen the uh, season ticket renewal prices, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced that would go down quite so well. Um, I mean, uh, he's he's entirely right to highlight like, you know, the transformation of a club over that sort of 20 year period or the 15 year period since since Comley came in. Um, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm not convinced he's quite as uh, widely loved a figure as Comley would like, uh, and that probably wouldn't be particularly well received. What about this idea with Levy that as brilliant as he is, he should take a bit of a step back from some of the actual deals and, and that kind of thing that, you know, for all his expertise, his energies maybe would, would be best served, not necessarily closing deals and letting someone with maybe more knowledge in that area. Possibly, yeah. What you mean, like, like a kind of director of football? That sort of thing, thing yeah. yeah. I mean, I can definitely see the merit in that. I mean, clearly he's, a, he's an absolutely fantastic businessman. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's kind of dragged Spurs through the last 15, 20 years. Um, but yeah, you're right. I do sometimes think not getting things done quickly can sort of impede you. And, and I think sometimes you just have to sort of write off a certain percentage of that uh, and just kind of get on with things. And it, it, from a football perspective, that that does hold you back a little bit, I think, sometimes. Can you think of other examples of statues of executives as in... No- not of not, player or coach. I yeah. can't think of any of the top They're of my probably head. like in I bet some sort of like European Turkey. leagues. Where, yeah, or t- yeah, where what, like you know. What about Jack Walker at Blackburn? I don't Ooh. know if that actually is a statue, but I imagine he good that would shout. that would go down well if there was. That's a good shout. Oh, what about? Oh God, what's the bloke? The statue, of the old man outside Southampton. I forgot. Yeah, his he was name. the manager. Though, was he the manager? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. I think he was like manager, and it was like a player, and then manager, and then sort of chairman or something like that yeah i can't think of any if, li- listeners if you know of any particularly from around the world there is a jack walker statue there is a jack walker confirmed. statue amazing Thank you very superb much. googling from 10 points to gryffindor yeah. <laughs> i'll take that um okay cool well that's pretty much all we've got time for today thank you very I could much actually listeners. Drop my mic. i could literally drop my mic yeah okay thanks very much for listening that's all we've got time for today thanks charlie and james thanks to producer tom uh we will be back next week looking back on the FA Cup game and the Premier League game against Burnley and looking forward to the Leipzig game, which I think is next next week. Thanks very much. (laughs) 